welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Well, we're looking at uh, 1 John this morning. It is on page 1023 in the Pew Bible, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And if I asked you, what is the Apostle John's first letter about? You would probably say love. And that, of course, is a, a good and right answer. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, we have uh, very famous verses. Indeed, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been loved by God and knows God. And he, if you know the little song from Vacation Bible School, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And so you would rightly say, 1 John is about love. That would be the correct answer to give. One of the things I want us to think about this morning, which is crucial in the Apostle John's mind, is how love is connected to truth. That is contrary to the culture in which we live, where love and truth are amicably divorced from each other. They have been consciously decoupled one from the other. And so you have an option. Well, do you want the love? Do you want, do you want to love someone or do you want to tell her the truth? Well, no, love and truth go hand in hand. And so it's important in a world of lies to reflect on the spirit of truth, God, the Holy Spirit, who gives us true true doctrine, true thoughts about God to believe. All right, well, let's turn our attention to the Word of God. First John chapter 4, I'll read the first six verses. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world." They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, may the Lord bless the reading and the exposition of his holy word. In 1820, the year George IV became king, his Serene Highness Gregor I, sovereign prince of the state of Poye and its dependencies, and cacique of the Poye nation, arrived in London, fresh from the Americas. Gregor McGregor, the hero of Central American wars, had come to London. He'd returned victorious as ruler of the Pove. This fertile land in the Americas was a place 
of resplendent beauty in earth's Eden. Here, he said, or there, there was hardly any need for work whatsoever. Sugar, coffee, indigo, cotton just pushed itself out of the ground. There were livestock fattening themselves. There were wild fruits, gold and precious metals, diamonds, all sorts of jewels just could be scraped visibly out of the rock. You could hardly put your foot down without touching a precious stone. Well, His Serene Highness Gregor I sold land to the British and also to the French, and of course he borrowed money from London banks on the promise of all of this new gold. Hundreds, hundreds of people bought land and sailed for the new world, for the untold riches, for the paradise of Pove. Now, perhaps you have never heard of this enchanted land in the Americas. That's because it was a fraud. He was selling land along the Mosquito Coast, land in present-day Nicaragua and Honduras. There were no promised boulevards, only swamps, no royal palace, but hurricanes, no knights of the green cross of Poyanese lancers, just lots of pesky insects and killer diseases. Now, this story illustrates the gullibility of the human heart and also the cost of believing lies. You can imagine that if you were someone in Britain or in France who was cautioned not to go to this great dreamscape, if somebody told you it's too good to be true and you were setting sail, you'd say, look, I know that there are frauds out there, but I've done my due diligence. I've checked this Gregor McGregor guy out, and there's gold in them there, Hills, and I'm going to get them. Uh, you know, I, I'm, this is great. We're proud, and so we assume that we will triumph where others will fail, that we see the truth, though sure there are fraudsters out there, or perhaps it's sheer laziness. You can imagine some people out of sheer boredom decided, eh, why not give it a go? What's the worst that can happen? Well, what's the worst that can happen is what happened to most people who set sail. I mean, just think about it. If you set sail hundreds of years ago for the Mosquito Coast without any provisions or with very minimal provisions just for the journey, and you landed thinking that there would be exotic wild fruits for you to just feast on, you die. And you would die a miserable, horrible death. And that's what many people did. We must seek truth in a world of lies. We must seek truth in a world of lies. And that's the message of this sermon in one sentence. So children, if, if your uh, parent says, what's the, what's the sermon about? Well, we must seek truth in a world of lies. That's right. And only God, the Holy Spirit, can do the work in our hearts to open our blind eyes 
to see the truth. And I want us to consider this passage before us under three headings. And I've got hand gestures. They're not exotic hand gestures, but I've got hand gestures for you to help you remember. So if uh, your pastor, John Clayton, says, well, what did this J. Bruce character talk about? Well, we must seek truth in a world of lies. And then here are your three hand gestures. Reject the lies. Remember the victory and receive the truth. So the first thing that we see is we must reject the lies. That's in the first three verses of chapter 4. John says, don't believe everything you hear. It is an admonition that we must make to each other in the church because the church ought to be the safest place for you spiritually, morally, intellectually, physically. And yet we know that there are wolves who for their own private benefit at the cost of others will speak lies to people. And so John is saying, right before he says, love one another, beginning in verse 7, here in the opening of chapter 4, he says, don't believe everything that everybody tells you. Now, this is a hard truth, isn't it? But John would have heard this from the Lord Jesus himself. John in the gospel, John chapter 8, verse 44 What does Jesus say? He says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And so there is a challenge here for us that we must focus on the truth by rejecting lies. Now, this gets us to doctrine. We must defend doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is truth about God. We must, I mean, I guess you could have false doctrine. So we'll say doctrine is statements about God, and we must defend sound doctrine, which would be true statements about God. Now, so often, we don't want to do this. We have to cross the pain threshold. When someone says a falsehood about God, we want to live and let live. We don't want to cause any trouble or stir the pot. But if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then what? We shall be saved. This is what Paul and Silas tell the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. And the enemy wants to rob us of our assurance of salvation or make us ineffective for the gospel proclamation that we're all called to in whatever walks of life that we we have. He wants to do that by robbing truth from us. So now here in uh, in, uh, 1 John chapter 4, we have two examples that he gives that I want you to be sensitive to. So in verse 2, he talks about the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come from the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, there are some who resist God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They reject what we recognize as the Trinity. And so being sensitive to whether or not when someone attacks 
or not, people are, um, Satan comes as an angel of light. So when, when people say things about Jesus, about the divinity of Jesus, that seem odd to you, you ought to say, well, what do you mean by that? Because, of course, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we see on every page of Scripture. So let me just give you an example in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 31, we are told that the Spirit of God is working in those who are, made, who are uh, working on the tabernacle. And in chapter 33, verse 11, the Lord speaks to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. But then in chapter 33, verse 20, the Lord says, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. So there is in a single chapter, or in actually chapter 31 and then in chapter 33, so in two chapters, three verses, we have the Lord God Almighty whom we cannot see. The Lord God Almighty who speaks to us face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And the spirit of the Lord God Almighty who works in people who are doing the Lord's work. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It means when we reject lies, it means Unitarians and Muslims are wrong about God. It's interesting, I was commissioned to... Um, I was commissioned to evaluate this uh, brand new translation of the Hebrew Bible, and I agreed to it, and then all 10 plus pounds of it came to my door. It was translation plus commentary, and it was interesting because the, the translator and commentator, I would describe him as an unbelieving Jew, and it was fascinating for me as a Christian to read him on passages like Exodus 31 and Exodus 33. Because if you're going to deny the Trinity, it gets really complicated to say there's the Lord that we can see, the Lord that we can never see, and then the Spirit of the Lord working amongst the people. But if you believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as we confessed together a moment ago, then you open up the pages of the Old Testament, you open up the pages of the New Testament, and everything is clear and makes sense. So one lie that we have to reject is those that would deny the Trinity. And they don't deny the Trinity by wearing, I mean, sometimes they do, but it would be very odd to have a kind of anti-Trinitarian t-shirt. But they could say things about Jesus that deny his divinity, that deny that he's the Son of God, and you've got to be alert and ready to ask questions about that. So then in verse 3, so that's the Trinity. In verse 3, we have the incarnation. So the, uh, the, the, the key here, sorry, verse 2, come in the flesh. So Jesus came in the flesh. Why did Jesus have to come in the flesh? He had to come in the flesh so that he could die for our sins. So an attack on the incarnation is not some kind of, and I remember I'm a philosophy professor, is not some kind of arcane or, you know, sophisticated discussion of who Jesus is. It is central to your salvation. 
right? If there is no flesh, there is no death. If there is no death, there is no substitute. If there is no substitute, there is no salvation. But friends, there is salvation because there is a substitute. I am not punished for my sins. Jesus was punished for my sins. Because Jesus was punished for my sins, I am not punished for my sins, but I am forgiven. But He was my substitute in death. And that meant that He had to come in the flesh in order to be my Savior. And so that is the gospel, right? Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because He condemned sin in the flesh, that is, in the person of Jesus on the cross. So a defense of the incarnation, rejecting a lie that would say, you know, Jesus just kind of, He came and He uh, seemed to be God, but He wasn't really human, fully human, uh, that is actually an attack on your salvation. Now, uh, we were at the uh, U.S. Marshals Museum yesterday. We came a day early, uh, me and my uh, three boys. And so if you've not been to the United States Marshall Museum, you, you definitely should go. And if you want to talk about people who dedicated their lives to discovering the truth, even at the cost of their own lives, it would be the United States Marshal Service. And when we were there, I say this as a, a new fan of the city of Fort Smith, the, uh, they said that the reason why, you probably already know this, but if not, it's worth repeating, the reason why Fort Smith got the United States Marshal's exam, uh, Museum was because of the disproportionate number of marshals who gave their lives. I mean, I don't think it's half of all U.S. Marshall deaths came from Fort Smith, but I think it's over a third. And so uh, if you think about the Wild West, then, then Fort Smith kept the peace. And so we uh, mercifully and wonderfully are rarely asked to give our lives for the Lord Jesus, though he may call us to do that. But what we must do is reject lies about God. Well, how do we do that? The, um, the way that we do that is we know the truth, right? We focus on what is true so that there are an infinite number of heresies, right? There are a near infinite, a near infinite number of lies about God. But what you need to do is be so habituated to the truth that if somebody says something that's false about Jesus, you can say, wait, that just doesn't, it just would it ring uh, strangely in your ears, right? So, so study the shorter catechism. Memorize it. Make, it. make it a discipline as a family, as a, as a single person, as a, as a husband and wife. Catechize your children, right? John is clearly telling us that false prophets have come into the world, that false Christs, that antichrists, people who are against Jesus, have come into the world, and so we must reject their lies. That's the first point. Reject their lies. The second is in verse 4, and so it's reject their lies and then remember the victory, right? So you need to remember the victory in verse 4. Now, these first three verses, it's like, why would a, why would a visiting pastor 
talk about these verses, right? Everybody's lying to us. So is this a message of discouragement? No, look at verse 4. Little children, he addresses them with tenderness. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Not, you will one day maybe perhaps overcome them, but you have overcome them. You have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are from God, and you belong to God. Remember the victory. It is a past work. You've already overcome the lying spirits and prophets, false prophets. Well, how have we already overcome the lying spirits and false prophets? Think about how you came to Christ. Think about, there you were in your ditch, your spiritual, maybe literal ditch, but definitely a spiritual ditch, You were dirty, you were not very impressive, even if the world thought you were impressive, you knew that you were dark and disgusting, you had no hope, you were blind, you were dead, and God the Holy Spirit came and opened your blind eyes and did such a marvelous work in your life that you could see and behold the risen Lord Jesus, and to see Jesus is to love Him and to delight in Him. And so you remember the victory that God the Holy Spirit has already worked in your heart. The, uh, if you want to look it up, the shorter catechism question on effectual calling is my absolute favorite. It's the work of God's Spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery and enlightening our minds and renewing our wills, He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. God, the Holy Spirit, does the work in our hearts, and we can remember the victory. Yes, I mean, just think about it. There are lies swirling all about. We had a family member that we think may have come to faith in Christ. We're still praying for him, but uh, his conversion, or his road to conversion, was in part through uh, getting into yoga and we thought, is he like becoming a Buddhist or something? And he had a Mormon yoga instructor. And the Mormon yoga instructor tried to convert him to Mormonism. And he had just enough little residual kind of from some kind of quasi-Christian upbringing that uh, he could go, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound, I don't think that's who Jesus is. Correct. What the Mormons believe about Jesus is not who Jesus is. And so, in a world of lies, God found you. So remember the victory. And that remembering the victory is important because it gives new meaning to the present. Right? When you remember the past, if you forget the past, it's horrible. I mean, sometimes it's good if the past is bad. But, but it, significant moments in your life, if you remember those moments... It's deep and rich, and when we forget, it's very painful. There is a 2004 film, The Notebook. It's uh, based on the Nicholas Sparks novel, and in the film, a man reads a love story in a nursing home to a woman with dementia. He just goes, and he visits her, and, uh, and she just listens to this love story, and this is a good story, she says at one point. I think I've heard it before. She enjoys it. It's a beautiful story. Uh, she, She loves listening to it. Yet she says that for some reason it makes her sad. She can't quite put her finger on why it makes her sad, 
to hear such a wonderful love story. Well, one day, she wakes up from her dementia, and she looks at this man in a different way, and she says, I remember now. I remember it now. It was us. It was us. She remembers that he was her husband. He was the poor boy in the love story. And she was the rich girl. And they got married and had a wonderful life together. And she had forgotten it all. But then in that brief shining moment, when she remembered the love of her life, there was sublime joy. Friends, do not forget the great lover of your life. Don't forget all that Jesus has done for you. Yes, we are wicked, but we are more immensely and immeasurably loved than we can possibly imagine. As Song of Songs says, he has brought me to the banqueting table and his banner over me is love. Would you remember this week when someone wants to put over your head a banner of loser <laughs> or awkward, you remember this week, his banner over me is L-O-V-E, love. His banner over me is love. And as, as you remember that, remember the victory. Jesus did not simply say, I love you. He bore your sins on the cross. And Jesus did not simply bear your sins on the cross. He sent the Holy Spirit to you to open your blind eyes, renew your will, that you may embrace Jesus freely offered in the gospel. And you did. Hallelujah. So remember the victory. Okay, hand gesture time. Reject the lies. Remember the victory and then receive the truth. Receive the truth. In the last two verses of this section, in verses 5 and 6, John says that there are two types of people. There are those who are from the world, and there are those who are from God. And we can tell them apart, he says. He says, verse 5, they are worldly people, and they listen only to each other. They are from the world, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But then he makes a surprising claim. He says, verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to whom? Oh, whoever knows God listens to God. No, he says. I mean, that's true. If you know God, you listen to God. But here he says, whoever knows God listens to us. What an astonishing statement. John is saying, if you know God, you listen to me. Of course, we know that he's writing Scripture. He has an awareness of that, and he is telling them exactly what Jesus wants them to hear. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, he says, when he exhorts them uh, to love one another in the previous chapter, before doing it again in chapter 4, he says, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We've heard it from the beginning. Jesus himself in John 13, 34, so in John's gospel, in John 13, John himself records Jesus saying, love one another. And Jesus says, a new command I, have given, I give you. 
as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So he's saying now to these recipients of the letter, you listen to us. Well, why? Well, in chapter 5, verse 13, he's going to tell them the reason for writing. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. To put it in a phrase, he's writing for our good. He's writing for our good. That is in contrast to those who want our money. They lie about God in order to take our money. And we must discern the truth We must receive the truth and have a storehouse of the truth of Scripture so that we can discern who is from God, who is from God. The uh, Bereans are praised because uh, Paul on a missionary journey comes to them, and they listen carefully to check from the Scriptures whether or not what he's saying is true. We should be the same way. When someone says something about God that is true, we should, we should want to know where that is in the Bible. That's one of the, the students don't do this at JBU anymore, maybe because word got round, or sadly, maybe because students these days care less and less about the Bible. But when I came, uh, first became a professor, so, uh, one student would correct another student and say, well, you can't say that because that's, that's unbiblical. And even if I agreed with the student 100%, I would still say, where in the Bible? Right? Because it's a strong claim to say that's unbiblical. So, you know, you have a passage in mind. So we should, we should be captivated by the truth of God's Word. We should think carefully about what people are saying. Right? It's a, it's a good practice to read the Scripture and then to hear a message on it so that you can judge, as I'm preaching, whether or not these things are, in fact, from the passage. And at all times, we should focus on the voice of the Lord Jesus. As he says in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, I, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So you reject the lies, and you remember the victory, and you receive the truth, but you receive the truth because the truth is delightful. The truth is luxurious. The, the, the truth is exciting. So we don't believe what the world teaches. We're on the lookout for that. But we can be confident and hopeful because God the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. You are at a good Bible-preaching church. If you're visiting this morning, come back right? Fall under the preaching of God's Word. Meditate on it. These are the words of life. Remember, if you think that you are sailing on your own steam to a beautiful destination because you've heard that you don't have to live the way God wants you to live, that you don't have to do the Christian thing, that you don't have to trust in Jesus, but you can still get to the paradise, then the problem for you is just as those British and French adventurers followed Gregor McGregor to their deaths, you are going to even a worse place 
than the Mosquito Coast. Do not let a liar take you to hell with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are a God who loves us, that you are holy, righteous, and good. And we pray that if there is a single person who is captivated by lies, that you would open his or her heart to the glory and joy that is found in Jesus alone. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fortsmouth, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.